Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, and thank you for listening to Leroy's Library, Bangkok Lyrical Lunacy's weekly podcast where we will cover our community, culture, events, news, and any relevant information regarding life here on Earth and in Bangkok. My name is Leroy Janconius Third, and I'm here to serve you a soul-filling feast featuring poetry, music, and the rest of the collective creative output from members of our community. On this week's episode of the podcast, we'll take a listen to a talk I gave over at Bangkok University about a few weeks ago during October of 2017. The topic of discussion was death its origins, and how it's portrayed or represented in the philosophies and cultures found in the East and in the West. The timing of this talk was actually pretty peculiar for me, in particular due to the fact that it synchronized with the mourning period being observed throughout all of Thailand one year after the passing of King Bumipon, also known as King Rama IX but also because my own grandmother passed away just a few days prior to me giving this talk. The focus of the talk is on the use of the symbols found in the oldest poems and stories man has passed down throughout the generations. We'll examine the story of Adam and Eve and the fall of man, as well as the story of the Buddha's enlightenment. So what we're going to do here is take a look at two symbols as they are presented in both of these stories, specifically the tree and the serpent. The main thing to take from this talk is to try to gain an understanding of how symbols are used to communicate wisdom across time and across generations, as well as how we can learn from those symbols to try to understand how those symbols are used in other cultures and to try to use that understanding as a foundation from which we can build bridges and build understanding across different cultures and different ways of life by trying to understand the philosophies that inform such ways of life. I'm going to have some images that go along with this talk linked to this episode of the podcast. So please be sure to look in the information section for the link to the visuals that go along with this talk. So yeah, I hope you enjoy this talk at Bangkok University, and I think you'll find that it has some good tidbits of information on how we can use symbols to communicate across cultures and build bridges and help to understand each other by understanding what language our spirits speak and how we can appeal to each individual's spirit as a means of communicating. So I really hope you enjoy this. Please give me your feedback in the comments. And please, uh, if you have any questions or any uh, arguments, anything, please just uh, give me a shout out. I'd love to hear what you think about this talk. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much for coming out to the second of the BUI Creative Mornings on this lovely Friday. It was almost turn off your aircon and open your windows morning this morning. It was nice. Um, I'm very happy that you all came, and for some of you that you came for the second one, um, we have a very interesting day today. Uh, obviously, death, when I saw the topic, was one that caused me to stop, and in the words of one of the great dance groups from the early 90s, made me go, hmm. 
because I wasn't exactly sure what we do with this. And so I was able to find a guest speaker today who happened to spend a month working in this area, thinking about this area, uh, given the situation and the context of Thailand for the last year with uh, the, the death of King Bhumiphon and the ceremonies that occurred in October. And so we welcome Pablo today to speak with us about this issue and talk about how death is discussed, talked about, communicated within the creative world and in the creative mind. And I think he's pretty excited to be here. He was a guest at our lecture last week, and I think he's a new friend of the program. So um, I'm not going to let uh, do a full introduction of him. I'm going to let him talk about his background. Um, afterwards, as we do always, uh, he will finish up. We'll do a Q&A with the speaker and, and amongst ourselves. Uh, you'll have some time to chat with him one-on-one. -on -one. We have. Am I still on? Yeah, we're going to switch. The microphone died. Hello. Hello. Swadikab. Hello, everybody. Um, my name is Pablo. Uh, I'm a poet, and I'm not going to spend too much time talking about myself. Um, I'm just going to go ahead and get into the presentation. And I want to open it. I'm going to do a little attention grabber. Um, and this is how we usually start our poetry shows that we do every month. Calling all poets. This three-word invitation made circles in her mind, leaving vapor trails of fear and doubt. She always dreamt about grabbing the mic Pouring beauty out of her mind like the poets she loves to come and watch. And even if courage hadn't dodged her and she took the stage, she knew that her writing, it just wasn't good enough. She isn't, hasn't so much as written a proper grocery list, let alone weave strings of words together that make music when strummed by a tongue. But we all know that's bullshit. See, everyone on this planet that'll ever meet you possesses knowledge only they can teach you. That leaves you with like, I don't know, like seven billion lessons to be taught and you hold the keys to at least two. See, there's poetry in every breath and every step you've ever taken, so use your voice to illustrate them. Your eyes have seen things that we will never witness. Your existence is the sum of every story that came before you, so celebrate them. And though you never really put it to verse, every second you've ever spent on this earth is just a stanza in the poem you have been living since birth. See, you are a poet by virtue of your beating heart, a beat we've all been dying to listen to, so I'm calling all poets. See, your unspoken story is ringing so loudly in our ears and the silence is deafening. I'm calling all poets. We spend ages obsessing over how to fly, forgetting storytelling is how you get your wings. I'm calling all poets. God etched it into your DNA and this is how you get into heaven. I'm calling all poets. Your words are the daily bread that this mic leavens. I'm calling all poets because the mic is here today, and it's beckoning, so I'm calling all poets. Um, this, is how we show, this is how we start every show that we do every month, and it's usually just a way to get everyone's attention, really. Um, and now that I have it, uh, again, my name is Pablo, and I'm a poet, and I'm here today to talk to you about death. Um, and 
when we, when Michael and I were going back and forth discussing how we can approach this topic, uh, I thought it'd be a good way to, to try and do it in a way that builds bridges, uh, in a way that can facilitate communication and some way we can culturally meet halfway. So I thought we'd approach death in the way of examining how Eastern philosophy and how Western philosophy deal with depicting death and, and how I will do it as a poet is by examining the oldest stories ever told by some of these cultures. And these are poems. They were, they were written as poems and carried on as poems from generation to generation. Um, and th this is what naturally we look to when death enters our life, right? We usually look to our holy books and our scriptures and anything that can, can fulfill our spirit. So that's how we'll start. And we'll start by examining some symbols. The first of which is here behind me. Can anybody tell me what this is? A tree. Okay. All right. How can you be sure that that's a tree? Okay, it's green. There's roots, okay. Leaves, right? There's a trunk. It, it's on grass. Okay. So there's a tree. But is there a tree in this room today, right here, right now with us? No, right? This is just a projection of a picture of a tree on a screen. But you see a tree. I see a tree. For the purpose of this talk, there's a tree behind me. So I need you all to play along with me and close your eyes. Close your eyes and imagine that you are sitting under the shade of a big ass tree like the one behind me. It's a cool November morning. It's Friday. You're in the shade of a giant tree, just relaxing, feeling the breeze on your skin. You breathe it in. It feels nice and cool in your lungs. You start to relax. You hear the winds. It starts to get louder. And you calmly open your eyes. This is what you see. What do you do? Anybody? Freak out? Okay. Yeah, right? I think anyone who is smart um, and wants to carry on the legacy of their parents for generations might freak out. They don't want to get bit or swallowed by this serpent. Um, and we, if, if we look at this symbol, the serpent, and the symbol I provided before, the tree, these are com two very common symbols found in cultures throughout the world. No matter where you go, you can go to India, you can go to South America, you can go to uh, see Native American cultures, you can look at African cultures, Aboriginal cultures. You will always see the symbols of a tree and a serpent. And the response to the appearance of the serpent is a major departure point in Eastern and Western philosophy. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at two 
very old stories told in the East and told in the West. And we're going to see how these two symbols are presented in both sides of the world. We'll start with Western Judeo-Christian tradition. All right. Is anyone familiar with this story being depicted here? Yeah? All right. So this is the story of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden and the fall of man. And as you can see here, you have a tree. You have a serpent. You have two humans, right? And the story goes that before there was death in the world, there was paradise. All was good. All was perfect. And these were the first human beings, Adam and Eve. And they were the tenders of the garden. They maintained earth and this paradise they lived in. The only rule was do not eat the fruit from the tree. That's all. If they just kept everything good and didn't eat the fruits, it'll all be good. But, you know, they lived forever here. Forever is a long time. It could get pretty boring, right? If you're doing the same thing every day, in and out. So one day, Eve is hanging out by the tree, and out comes a snake. A very charming snake, slick tongue, smooth moves, you know, starts talking it up with Eve. Hey, how you doing? How's your day? What's good? Yeah. And, you know, Eve's not rude, right? She's like, oh, get away from me, man. Nah, nah, nah. She's like, okay, hey, hey. You know, and, you know, Beauty and the Beast, we all heard that story. The beast ends up being pretty charming, huh? So eventually they're talking, and he says, hey, why don't you have a bite from uh, some of these fruits here? And she's like, man, I don't know. I don't think I, you know, I was told not to do it. And he's like, well, how long have you been here? Well, forever. And it's pretty, you know, you could deal with some change, right? Eventually she took a bite. She told Adam to take a bite. And they learned the difference between good and evil. Uh, they received fruit from the tree of knowledge, and this was forbidden. So as you see here, God finds out. He casts his judgment and casts out Adam and Eve from the Garden of Eden. And this, the reason this is important is because according to Judeo-Christian tradition, and which is the tra tradition followed in the West, this is where death entered the universe. So you see here, they're being cast out and led towards the realm of death and time, right? They're doomed to toil over the earth. This is the only way they can live, but either way, they're destined to die. So this is an important story because this is where, according to the West, man becomes aware that he will die. Um, now, again, I want you to pay close attention to the symbols we have. We have a tree and we have a serpent. And the dynamics that these two symbols play with the characters, the main characters, Adam and Eve. Now we're going to flip pages, and we're going to take a look to the east. Um, and being that we're in Thailand, I'm pretty sure a lot of you are familiar with this story here. For those of you who aren't aware, this is a story of how the Buddha reached enlightenment, right? And the story goes that he sat himself in the immovable spot 
before the Bodhi tree. And he began to meditate and focus on reaching enlightenment. And eventually, there was a storm coming, a giant tempest that was raging and was sure to make sure that the Buddha was not going to have a good time while meditating. But still, he was unmoved, and he was focused. And he stayed meditating, focused, being mindful. And seeing his dedication before the storm, the serpent king, Mukalinda, comes to his aid and offers protection, as you can see here. And so the serpent king surrounds the Buddha as he meditates, right? The storm passes after a few days, and then the meditation continues. But as soon as this happens, the attention of the demon Mara is called. And he sees, he's like, hmm, this guy is focused, right? He's meditating, he's going for enlightenment, and he's, you can clearly see he's going to get it eventually. I'm going to go stop him. So what does Mara do? His first approach is to appeal to his sense of duty, Buddha's dharma. What does he say? Hey, Siddhartha. You're a king. What are you doing here? You have a kingdom that you're ignoring. You have a family you've left. Go back or they'll be in ruin. Unmoved. Buddha says, nope. I'm going to stay right here. Continues. Focused. So Mara's like, all right, all right. Clearly, his dharma isn't how to do it. I'm going to instill fear. So Mara, an agent of death, calls upon all the legions of demons to surround him. As you see here. But still, he's focused. He's mindful. He's unmoved. He shows he is not fearful of death, right? Poof, the armies disappear. So Mara's like, man, this is a tough guy here. What should we do? What should we do? I know. I will tempt him. Fill him with desire. Dangle the thing he wants before him. So he sends three daughters before the Buddha to dance and tempt him. Come on, this is the wisest guy who's ever walked. You think that's going to work? No. And again, he exhibits that he's above all worldly desires, all worldly fears. And just like that, Mara disappears. So, again, we have the tree. We have the serpent. But what is the difference here? Um, we can see that in the Western tradition, when the serpent arrives and offers something, knowledge, tempts you with something better than what is now, and you take the offer, what happens? 
death enters your universe. In the East, is it any much different? Out comes the serpent, offers his protection. Why? So that he may reach enlightenment and gain knowledge. Along the way, he learns about death. This is Mara. See, he's got a chain of heads all around his neck, and he presides over the realm of time. He's the king of our mortal realm, according to Eastern thought. So along the way, Buddha learns death and suffering, but he also learns it's no other option, right? It's the only way to go forward. You will suffer. You will die. Now, these are, again, the symbol of the tree and the serpent. These are, it's not only in Buddhism and it's not only in the Judeo-Christian tradition. We're going to take a look. Right. Here is some more imagery. Here we have Shiva with his family and his wife, Pavarti. You can tell it's Shiva because he's got a tiger skin. He's got the Ganges River flowing out of his head, right? Um, and usually he's naked. But what do you see here? He's under a tree. He's with his partner, his consort. And I don't know if you can look right there, right there, right there, right there. What do you see? A few serpents, right? So again, when you look at the east and you look at the west, how can you use symbols to try to understand a cultural philosophy, informed, usually informed by religion, right? Usually in a culture, religion is the oldest form of transmission of information, right? So how can we look at the transfer of symbols between cultures? How are they different? How are they sim similar? Because these symbols, whether you like it or not, are common to all men. And we tell our stories, and the way we approach life, is, and the way we tell our kids how to approach life, is, in, is told through these symbols. So at the end of the day, when you try to understand death and a cultural philosophy towards death and life and the, the stage we're on here on earth, right? If you look, life lives on life. We eat and kill, whether you're, it's a plant or whether it's a chicken. Something has died to sustain your life. And usually this is one of the key, key lessons taught in religion. And with these two symbols, the tree and the snake, we kind of, you see the interplay of how humans should interact with life and with death. And as you see in the Eastern tradition, life continues after death, right? According to Buddhist tradition, according to Hindu tradition, reincarnation is the name of the game. You come in and you come out, and either way, you're going to die and you're going to live, and they're one and the same. In the West, however, it's not so. In the West, you only live once, 
You have to make it count. And you have to do it right. If not, you die and you don't have eternal life. The only way to eternal life is through the way that is prescribed to live. And according to that is if you give in to worldly desires, temptation, that fruit, that fruit dangled by the snake, then you're in trouble. And, you know, there's no right or wrong answer, just so you guys know. I mean, this is just, uh, you know, cultural philosophy, how different people and their way of life is informed and how they use these symbols, very basic symbols, to, to communicate this. So the lesson that I'm trying to impart here today is basically um, take a look at the symbols of your own faith, right? How are they presented to you? And look for those same symbols in the traditions of other people. Not because you're right and they're wrong, or they're, they're right and you're wrong. It's simply to try and understand someone and how they think and what they believe. You know, to make peace, to build bridges, to communicate, to collaborate, um, you know, to work across oceans to build a better world. This is a basic skill. You must do this because otherwise you have, it's like uh, you have blinders. You're running a race, but you only see like this. So my challenge to you is this. Look at the symbols of your own traditions given to you by your parents and their parents. And look at the traditions of many of your peers from all over the world. And talk to each other. See how they're similar. See how they're different. Argue a little bit. And say, OK, no, this, I think this means this. I think this means this. This is why they give you these pictures, so that you can uh, challenge yourself, struggle with what's being asked. Um, and at the end of the day, uh, the key difference usually between East and West is how you respond to the snake. That's it. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Pablo. I really appreciate that. And I also wanted to mention now, instead of mentioning at the beginning, that each one of you who are here from the university side have these symbols within your major. Uh, my PhD is in communication, so finally we get to talk about something I know. Everything we do is symbolic, and we use symbols to express everything that we do. So each of your majors deals with this on a daily basis. It's the heart and soul of CG. Tourism uses uh, connecting points to find imagery or to find smells or to find concepts that people can go after. Um, they sell an ideal in marketing. That's why the symbols of, of perfume ads or the symbols of beer ads are the way they are. Um, every major has this. If you look at Business English with its language focus, that's, that is a symbol in and of itself. So for all of you to take away one very basic thing is that you're all living the things he talked about just in a daily basis that makes you forget about them. So look around you, look at the symbols that you see, look at the symbols that you create. Now, one area that I want to get into are your questions about these symbols. So I'm going to open it up for any Q&A that we have here. I use this microphone so you can keep that one. Now the other microphone died. It's just the irony all over the place. I'm going to go acoustic. I'm Italian and loud. It's no problem. Lyrical lunacy, which you can look up on Facebook.
subject for the last month. How do you as a poet look at that? Because not only are you talking about something others experience, but it's something you are now experiencing yourself. Because as many songs have said, each day I die a little bit. You know, when you're born, it's the only moment that you're actually fully alive, and then it all goes downhill from there. So at that point, how do you deal with that as a poet, someone of the creative mind talking about something that you're also experiencing? Okay, well, I think uh, as a poet, the job is always try to relate, right? Try to communicate a feeling that you have, an idea that you have, but in a way that someone else who isn't you can understand, right? That's what the beauty of poetry is. We speak in symbols. So I may say a word, whether it's in English or in Spanish or in Thai, right? It can translate, and that symbol is still what it is, right? Tree in English is tree in Thai, right? So when I say tree, it's there. So how do you, as a poet, how do you use these symbols to deal with the experience that we all will deal with in our life, whether we like it or not, right? Death. Well, you start from a point of relation. What are our common points? Um, and I think that's why I picked these two symbols, right? Because these symbols are common everywhere. And these symbols are they are pretty serious because these are times, these, these stories describe times where humanity finally discovered, whoa, we're going to die, right? Think about it. Before, life expectancy used, not, used to not be so long, right? You're lucky to live 30 uh, 200 years ago. Think about a thousand years ago, a million years ago, right? We were just living wildly in the plains, and then all of a sudden we realized, oh man, my grandfather passed, and then my father passed. Oh man, right? So how do you deal with that? How do you deal with that as a poet? Um, again, you 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 talk to people. You try to understand them, um, and you see how what they feel, what they're saying relates to you. Because at the end of the day, we're human, right? Our brains, even though our faces might look different, our voices might appear different, our brains evolved in the same way over the course of millions of years. So the thing, the chemical processes that go on in your brain and the things that... Uh, initiate them are the same, you know, like, we all are touched by pain, you know, unless you're, like, really have no soul, right, <laughs> like, but the experience of, of suffering is a common experience that we are destined to live just by virtue of being alive, you will feel pain, so using that as a starting point, that someone else's pain could be yours someday, and I think, and, and finding the symbols that can bridge the gap between between people. And I think within a culture, it's easy, right? I'm, I'm American, and I'm, I'm from Miami, so it'll be very easy for me to communicate and write poetry for Americans from Miami. Now, the challenge is, how do I do it in Bangkok, right? Sorry? You know, I've been to uh, the Ram, Ramkian, Ramakian. So this is one I've studied. Um, and I've also studied the one of uh, the monk who meditates and then the, the bird comes to eat him uh, after the snake and he becomes into the gems. So again, if you study, 
if you study these stories, you can see that there's parallels to other cultures. Um, and even within uh, East, Eastern tradition, Hindu and Buddhism are like cousins. A lot of the images are the same. And this, is what, this was a, a very like, nice surprise to me when I first moved here. Because um, I was like, man, why is there a Ganesh statue here? And then I would ask my Thai friends, and they would tell us, yeah, it's, uh, we, we, it's derivative. Buddhism is, a, is derivative from Hinduism. And these are, these are bridges we build. Um, and there is an equivalent of Ganesh in the West. Um, other, other cultures in South America have wisdom, gods of wisdom and creativity, gods of communication, um, you know, gods of fire, gods of, of death, gods of the sun. Every religion, every culture has one. So the, the job of the poet when relating to things with death is find those points where you can say same, same, but different, right? It's, oh, you say Jupiter, I say Zeus. You say Venus, I say Ishtar, right? So that, I think that's the job of the poet. And when, when you're dealing with death and when, you know, especially in, in October uh, when, of the passing of King Bumipon, right, this, is a, this was a good time of reflection. And, and for me especially because at this time my grandmother passed away as well. So, again, it's, it's finding those common points, right? It's at an expected time people start to feel pain and, you know, Sometimes it might be a coincidence, sometimes it's not, but when you're experiencing something, think about how others who are not anything like you on the other side of the world, we have hearts, we have brains, you know, we have uh, the same blood we have is made out of the same water from the same earth. Um, so if you just try to relate with those who are different from you by trying to find what little commonalities exist and how it's the same but a little different, and that's the same as extending a handshake. You know, taking the time to learn someone's culture, taking the time to learn someone's language, it's very appreciated. Um, and, and, you know, and people, people see that and they reciprocate. And that's how you do it. That's how you build bridges. Any other questions for Pablo the poet? Come on, y'all told you you're a poet, but you don't even know it. If you have a rhyme, this is the time. Sir. I read it all, man. I read it all. Uh, I read the Bible. I read the Torah. I, I read the, the Ramakian, you know, because, again, these are, these are things that people look to to fill their spirit. Um, and if you want to understand anybody, if you want to make a connection with anyone, you have to connect with their spirit, and you have to understand, like, how to do it. So, I mean, at the end of the day, I look at the symbols, Right? I look at the symbols and how they're presented, and I try to figure it out for myself. Um, and I do. I, I still listen to, to the pastor, to the preacher, to the priest, because I believe it's important. You know, he's, still, he's communicating something that has been passed down for thousands of years, right? And sure, it's, a lot of times religion is a source of a lot of devastation in the world, but it's also a source of good. You know, and you got to bet on humanity, you know, <laughs> straight up. Like, you have to bet that the human spirit is good and that we, we pass these stories down for a reason. And, and a lot of people, 
even though it causes bad for some people, for, I believe that for a lot more, it's a source of inspiration, it's a source of motivation, and it's a source, you know, of good. I do, I do. So I, look, I, I read it all, man. <laughs> Anyone else? Ask the snake. I don't know, man. <laughs> donuts. And the promise of more donuts next month. I have a question. But if you really love the most famous Thai country is Sun 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 Tonpu. I'm not sure if it's some or some If you go there, you see a big giant woman doing like this. Really? That is what he wrote. And they built that according to his book. Okay. All right. Thank you. Uh, please. Uh, af- it's actually he actually talked a lot about life and death because he was a he was a drunk. <laughs> okay. He compared a lot of things with life with animals. He, he compared human with animals. He compared life with water. Okay. He death and spirit and something like that. You will love it. All right. Thank you so much. Son Tampu. Son Tampu. Okay. Thank you. What's your name? Pirapan. Thank you very much, Pirapan. Um. Yeah, and I don't know if there's no other questions. Thank you for your attention. Thank you for your time. Um, Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Pablo the Poet. out there in fact it's quite dark and cold don't harden don't you see that we so still intact i throw facts so don't get it twisted oh you won't i hope you didn't forget shit hope the cycle might revive you sense of soul so you know how to lift it i'll assist but nah i won't say shit come on bro Hop up in the spaceship, fuck if I know where the fuck I'm about to take it. A safe bet is the other side of space. So far away that it takes ages. God damn, light ain't even reach it. That's the darkness we about to breach. I mean the inner reaches of who you be. We are not seen. Got golden grains, food for your soul that we soak in the sands. Put you on game, kid. About this oasis, this your new home. Make sure you don't break it unless you keep breaking the beats. G, understand this place makes you beastly. Any man invites you to his feast. Oh, surprise, he tried to sink his teeth. Pardon me, I meant to bring dental. Brought a yarn is floss for your mental. For when the wind's low and when the rent's due. Don't be mad, I didn't come to spill the lentils. About to go in, dude. There ain't no wind to. All the ways that these rays will send you. So tucked in, fool. Join the feast, kid. No sea triste, mira que naciste. 